0: Welcome to Matters of Life. I'm your host, John Lucier, and this evening we're going to discuss living out your faith. It is vitally important because there is such a huge difference between professing to be a Christian and actually living out our faith. If we look at James chapter 2 verses 18 through 23, it says this, <clears throat> but someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that without works, faith is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God, which is amazing. All right, so it wasn't just the faith, the confession of faith, stating that we have it, and it wasn't just the works, the deeds, the acts. It was both the confession and the works, or our faith in action. That's what the Lord considers belief. That is what is credited to, credited to us as righteousness. And as we see here with Abraham, what made the Lord give the testimony and the confession of Abraham that he was a friend of God. So as we can, as we discuss this, I, I want to bring up this point and it's vital. And I would challenge you with this statement that the world has been asking believers, Christians, us to actually live out our faith or what many have claimed for so long. And you may ask, how can I make such a bold statement? Well, simple. Let's look at some of the things that affect us or impact us daily. What about business? How about in business, the application and interview process? What are some of the things that are asked? If, we've, if we truly look at that, most of it is looking to see if we lie, cheat, or steal. Things found in the Ten Commandments. Or are we living with what's known as, quote-unquote, good moral character? How about insurance? For yourself and for your stuff. Your, your assets, your possessions. Your possessions do we engage in what's known as or deemed termed risky behavior or are we consistently and continually demonstrating uh, good normal good moral character and, and conducting our actions in the way that will positively benefit and bless our life take care of the things around us our things our possessions but also Look out for others and not endanger them and their things. How about in our communities? You know, we hear a lot about community in society today. So I would have to ask, are we engaging people? Are we helpful? Are we encouraging and building each other up or building up others? Are we bridging the gaps between relationships amongst the families, amongst the community, but also intergenerationally? Or, or, and I'll say, are we, just like it said in Jeremiah, are we looking out for the welfare and the prosperity of those where we find ourselves? Or are we missing an action? And do our neighbors have any idea of who we even are? And, and by neighbors, yeah, down the street, in the, in the neighborhood, but what about our even next door? Do they have any idea who we are and what we're about? And do we have any idea of what's going on in their lives? And lastly, I'll ask, what about family? Because our community is first impacted by what's happening in the home. So are we teaching our children who God is, truly, and how to have an actual relationship with him? Or are we teaching them how to fit in? To blend in and look like everyone else? Are we teaching our children how to stand firm in our faith? And and teaching them so they can that faith can be theirs personally, and they can have their own personal and intimate and deep relationship with our Lord and Savior. And are we teaching them that not just by our action by our words, but by our actions, because that's what they see and hear about in us and through others or have we taught them to compromise their faith and not just their faith but who they are as a person so are we preparing our children to have better relationships with others who can not only function beyond our own capabilities and where we're at So they can come and go beyond where we've ever been. But not only that, but also putting them in a place and preparing them so they can wisely and graciously, patiently guide and teach others to position the next generation. And generations after that to surpass them. Or have we raised islands, people unto themselves Or armies of one, where everyone is literally just trying to survive and fend for themselves. Now there's no doubt some of you may say, well, that sounds good on the surface or in theory, but what about all the continual rhetoric we hear about, quote unquote, Christian nationalists and Christian nationalism and lawsuits that are specifically targeting faith and family? And it's a fair point. We have to acknowledge that. There's, there are plenty. Um, you know, just within the past few years, we've had churches that have had to battle in courts, lawsuits, for the right, just to have the right to gather, to have more than one congregant inside mm-hmm. the facility at one time, in the assembly, the sanctuary, and even to have the right to, to gather outside, what about the, what about Joe Kennedy, who, in case you have not heard, he was the high school football coach that was fired for prayer, independent prayer. Or what about uh, Paige Cassidy, who was fired from CVS for refusing to prescribe or d- dispense fashions, So in other words, uh, for those that don't know, it is abortion-producing medication. Or what about Kim Davis, the Rowan County clerk in Kentucky who, f- who stood her faith and was fired for not signing same-sex marriage licenses? Now, yes, those things are protected under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. However, the company still took the actions that they did, knowing those laws were on the books. What about other legislation, like in California, that's, that's happening recently, that permits the state to take custody of children or any child that crosses state lines for elective trans surgeries, even if it's against the parents' consent? Or what about statements by candidates running for elected office that claim that the sounds of a heartbeat at six weeks are manufactured? I have to ask questions. How is it that a heartbeat at six weeks is manufactured, but a heartbeat at 15 weeks is okay? And everyone can agree on that. How is it that the technology that allows us to see and hear those sounds and that child in the womb is okay and we've made all this progress and all this technology, but then we're also extremely selective on when we say, oh, no, it's it's good to go and we can trust it and, no, we can trust it in this area but not over here. We can trust it when it pertains to things like elections but we can't trust it when it comes to things like healthcare not fully and then i have to ask when do we draw the line now yeah those are some pretty wild things but i want to encourage those individuals that well i would i would cheer on the ones that have stood and have received their I'll say they're day in court, but seeing the Lord's hand and seeing Him move in, in their lives and in the situation. And I would encourage others to put their hope, trust, and dependence entirely on Him because He's the only one that can bring you out. Mm-hmm. Clearly, the laws weren't just enough, but we need to tr- put our trust in the Lord. And I will tell you that in this show, yes, we discuss issues that happen. In our society and in life and pretty much every facet. But also, it's not just about discussing the issues. We're looking for solutions. So for this week, I'd like to examine and have us look at the book of Esther. Right? And in looking at Esther, I really want us to pay attention to the, the life of Mordecai. Because when we examine this and his life. There lies the solution, the answer for us, even today. And we'll go into that here in, in just a minute. There's a few points I want to bring up, and I want to lead by saying this. The first point as it pertains to Mordecai's life is that he did what was righteous because it was right. So if you could, good, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Esther 2, And we're going to read verses 5 through 7. It says, Now there was at the citadel in Susa, a Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been taken into exile from Jerusalem, with the captives who had been exiled with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, Babylon, had exiled. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had no father or mother. Now the young lady was beautiful of form and face, and when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So I'll bring this up because in the book of Esther, this is the introduction to Mordecai. All right, and what do we discover? That the reason he was even in Susa was because he was taken captive. And yes, now he was exiled, right? But even in this circumstance and in this situation, an exiled captive, who Mordecai was at his core, right, is displayed. And by core, I mean his nature, character, and, and attributes of Jesus the Christ don't change, Right? they are on display for everyone. And we see that in this situation. And not just his, cap- the, his captivity, which he's now in exile, right? But we also see it in, in his heart towards others. He's dealing with the loss of his, his uncle, and well, clearly both his aunt and uncle, but yet he takes in their daughter as his own to raise her, to teach her, right? Even in the midst of processing through pain and loss and all those things, right? This, Which is pretty incredible. So that, that's key, right? That's a, a key point. He did what was righteous because it was right to do. And not only that, but Prior to this, where we're introduced to Mordecai, we learn that there is a situation, an issue, and that is literally impacting the entire world at that point. And that was that well, I'll, I'll phrase it in this way, right? And by the whole world, right? The king, the current king, had an issue with the queen and separated from her, divorced her, as it were. And was in the search for another queen. Someone to take her place. So, which impacts everyone. Now, Mordecai is impacted because he now has a cousin who he raised as a daughter. And has taught her all the things on on how he lives his life given advice, given guidance, right? And there's a a couple other issues here, right? Everyone in the kingdom is impacted. And if you read out chapter, through chapter one, and it it will give you the impact and the vastness of this kingdom, which extended pretty much most of the world at that point, right? Now, He's can he's, I'll say, contending with these issues as well. It's not just what's happening in his house. Just like us today, he's impacted by the issues that are happening amongst the people and in, in the nation or the empire at that point in time, and which again has to deal with the search for the new queen. Now, I would ask this question, when do you prepare for trials and tribulations? And the answer is before it happens. that is key. now one second Let me, I've, I mean I've missed I lost my place here. okay so forgive me. in verse seven, all right it states that Mordecai was bringing Esther up right So he was pouring in Esther, teaching and training her in everything that she would need for life and godliness. And then if we look in verse 17, it says, and this is still in chapter two, all right, verse 17, says this, the king loved Esther more than all the women and she found favor and kindness with him more than all the virgins so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Now, I bring that up because that is God-given favor. It didn't come from anything that she said or did even though she fully applied the wisdom, guidance, God-given advice and instruction that she received from Mordecai. But the key is this, fully trusting God to supply all her needs, their needs. And Mordecai also, just because now, as we read, she's queen, he didn't stop pouring into her life, right? Even when she was brought to the king's palace and going through the, the queen selection process, which... We backtrack a little bit, still in chapter two, verses 10 through 12. Um, she did not forget those things, but she applied them. The sound counsel. And then we also I'll read this real quick um, because we see another key component here of of Mordecai. So Esther 2, 10 through 12 says, Esther didn't Esther did not make known her people or her kindred, for Mordecai had instructed her that she should not make them known. Every day, Mordecai walked back and forth in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and how she fared. So, even in the selection process, we see a, a, a key component of Mordecai, and that is relationship. Not just because it's her, his, his cousin that he's raising as his daughter. But relationships matter. Our God is a God of relationships. And in there, we see two key components. He checked to learn how she was and how she fared. How was she doing mentally, physically, emotionally, all those things. And then how or, or he wanted also to know what she had going on in her life. How are you doing in this selection process? And as we read in verse 17, the favor of the Lord gave her that place and that position. God's divine intervention and appointments gave her that place. But she still had to participate in the process. And not only that, but Mordecai clearly was a participant with her. Because it just says that he, every day he walked back and forth to learn how she was and how she fared. How long did he walk back and forth while waiting? Well, it doesn't say specifically, but I would assure you, given everything else that we have read and what we're going to cover, it was until he received an answer. He did not settle, but he continued steadfastly. So, it says a lot about his character. Another component that we see and read about in this story is that he did stop pouring into Esther's life. He continued to give that guidance and sound counsel, right? Taking time out of his day daily, right? To see how she was doing. But also, even when she was made queen, we read in the story how she continued and or continued to receive and Mordecai continued to provide guidance And Godly counsel to her. There was no change in that relationship, if you will, and and what was poured and continued to pour into her from when she was under his roof, right? Even after she was queen, which says, and then I have to bring up this point because it, to me, this speaks volumes. Mordecai, or it says a lot that Mordecai did not look for or expect his lifestyle to change now that he had someone, a relative or someone he knew, living on the inside of the palace or being promoted to the place and position where there is amazing influence or the ability to influence what happens. Right? That says a lot. How many times have we seen and observed in our society assistance and guidance from people, helping them to achieve a certain place or role or a certain level in any, you know, whether it's life or business or even in politics, government, whatever the case is. And then there's an expectation. There was While there were no strings attached, there's the appearance that strings were attached after. Well, I helped you with this. Then what are you going to do for me? That's not the right thing to do. Again, the first point was that Mordecai did what was righteous because it was right. It was helping someone in need, right? Now, there's another key point in in just in doing what was righteous because it was right. So, in chapter 2, verse 21, there is this situation that happens. Um, I'll, I'll read this section real quick. So says, In those days, while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's officials, from those who guarded the door, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus the plot but the plot became known to Mordecai and he told queen Esther and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name now when the plot was investigated and found to be so they were both hanged on a gallows and it was written in the book of the chronicles in the king's presence and this is my the last point in doing what was what is righteous because it is right or right to do we see in this section that he passed on information about a plot to kill or assassinate the king but he passed it on to Esther so we see in here he's still not looking for a reward he's still maintaining humble in fact he passed it on to Esther where all natural means he could have said hey I have important information and petition for an audience with the king and all these other I'll say natural responses But that's not what he did. He wasn't looking for the fame or the fortune or any of those things that come along with that. He was just doing what was right and righteous. Now, it also says a lot about his nature and character because let's not forget, he was a captive living in exile. So he didn't withhold information. He did not not do what was required of him, what was righteous to do because he had a grudge or was offended or had aught with anyone, he just did what was righteous because it was right. So, and actually, we this is something that well, I'll say it in this way How do we know? It was probably the question that many of you are asking, Well, how do you know that? Well, I'll tell you this we never hear about Mordecai being upset, even when Haman, in the next few verses here at the beginning of chapter 3, is promoted after the events of saving the king's life. So uh, the first verse says it. After these events, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and established his authority over all the princes who were with him. And it it continues. Well, why wasn't Mordecai promoted? Where was his reward? Where was... That wasn't an issue. You never hear or read about it being an issue. In fact, as we go through this book, you'll find there's only two things that upset Mordecai throughout the entirety of the story. The first is this. The selective targeting, or unjust treatment, or you could phrase it by as wicked plans, to persecute people because of their faith in the Lord God Almighty. That was the first thing, and that is part of the key of this whole story and why it it takes place and the second is this it was uh, the second thing that uh, that upset mordecai and it was fear in the lord's people that prevented them from being obedient to the lord god by putting their faith into action or living by this first principle that we are talking about here Doing what's righteous because it's right. It matters. It matters first and foremost to the Lord, but also it matters to others, our neighbor as ourselves, doing what's righteous because it's right. So, that being said, I'd like to move to the second point, which we'll cover by reading... Chapter 3, in the first six verses. And that second point is this Mordecai refused to compromise his faith. So, as we just read in verse 1, Haman is promoted, right? Verse 2 begins with this All the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why are you transgressing the king's command? Now it was when they had spoken daily to him, and he would not listen to them, that he told Haman to see whether Mordecai's reason would stand. For he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage to him, Haman was filled with rage. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him who the people of Mordecai were. Therefore, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. So as we were talking about in the beginning, do we see a similarity here with, I'll say, wicked plans, with persecution or and that's a really light thing to say in the US there's definitely been i'll say uncomfortability that has occurred unjust unfair treatment to people of the faith people that believe in god absolutely um i think other nations may laugh <laughs> you know if we use the word persecution because there haven't really been people that have yet been dragged out in the street that have been literally killed or eliminated in front of their family just for their belief in God, not in this nation, not at this time. And that was all it was. He refused to compromise. He trusted the Lord. And you see that in standing up not just for himself, but for his people and saying, no, I I can't do this. I can't bow to you because you are not the king. I bow to God. That's my master. That's whom I serve. That is my king and my Lord. And as we were talking about earlier on, there are laws and And things even in our nation that do protect that. And yes, people step outside of those laws. But he, Mordecai, refused to compromise his faith. We, in the same way, should refuse to compromise our faith. And then uh, the third point is this. And we're going to turn to Esther 4, 13 and 14 as we cover this. But he, Mordecai. Remain steadfast in trusting the Lord God Almighty. Now we're gonna explain that right after we read this section. That's in Esther 4 again, th- th- verses 13 and 14. It says, "Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther." So, oh yeah, yep. Let me let me reread this. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Do not imagine that you are in that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. And you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. So this is a continuation of what we just read on the second point. Haman sought to kill all the Jews. And if we read that, those sections of scripture in between the ones we just covered, we'll find that, well, some pretty significant things happen. Over the process, or the time period of a year, Haman then goes to the king, King Ahasuerus, and he literally purchases the right to be able to, to wipe out all the Jews, not just in Susa, the capital, but throughout the entire empire, which is pretty vast, 127 provinces, and uh, it, it's significant. Again, it covered most of the known world at that time. And the king okays it. And then says that, yep, he can, he can eliminate an entire race. An entire ethnicity and keep all their goods and belongings for himself. So, whether you want to call it a bribe or whatever the term you want to use is, the king was bought off to allow this wickedness to happen. So, now every at the time Jew, every member of the faith was. Now being persecuted, or in a time, was going to be eliminated. But you see you see Mordecai here. Remaining steadfast in the Lord God Almighty. And and I know some of you are probably thinking, well, wait, isn't, isn't that very similar to the second point, which is he refused to compromise his faith? Well, I'll tell you there's a difference. Because and, and it comes out in what we were talking about with Esther, right? Of the one of the things, the second thing that upset Mordecai was when the people of faith were in fear and it was preventing them from actually carrying out and doing the things that the Lord required, right? The first part, Morde- Mordecai refused to compromise his faith. He refused to do the things that would put him in violation and, and put... I'll say sin and uh, in the way or in between he and his God, which is our God. He refused to do that. The second part or remaining steadfast and trusting the Lord is while he's doing everything that is right for him to do, and by right, I mean righteous. While he is living righteously, there is also room that he's allowing for the Lord to move which is all the difference. Giving people grace, exhorting them to do what is right and righteous to do by their God, to fulfill their God-given role and the destiny track that the Lord has given to them to accomplish. But you see, even in his, I'll say, advice and prompting and trying to stir up Esther and her faith was... Hey, didn't the Lord, there's no doubt that the Lord chose you for this moment. This may be the reason he put you in royalty. So getting her to recognize those things. But then also saying, if you don't do it, if you don't fulfill your role in your God-given destiny, the Lord will do it through someone else. So I want to encourage us today with that, not to put down those things that the Lord has put on our heart to do what he's called us to do, but to fulfill them and not out of fear, but out of a reverence for the Lord, out of our love and our desire to be pleasing and obedient to him. Because that's exactly what we see here in Mordecai. And it didn't stop there, right? This is our our fourth point. Was Mordecai's willingness to work with others, to stir up the community, and to do what was required for the solution. And we're going to continue and read verses 15 through 17 of Esther 4. Right? It says, Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa, that is the capital, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens will all will fast in the same way. And thus when I go into the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded him. I I want to say this because it builds off the point. Mordecai was stirring up, encouraging, and admonishing Esther to do what was right and righteous to do. He would not compromise himself. He would not, he just remained steadfast in the Lord, right? And there, there's other times and, and periods in here where he wouldn't settle. And if, if you read this, you'll find that when he first heard of the news that he tore his clothes and Esther had her servant send him clothes. And, and you can look at that and say, well, that's, wow, that's, that's kind of rude, there's this situation at hand where all the Jews are you know could potentially be wiped out and here you go here's here's a little something but to to make you feel better, but he refused to compromise not only that but he's here now stirring up esther and now he's he's asked something of him he's asked to go and stir up the community not throughout the entire Um, I guess this is another key thing. The community where he found himself, right? Just like we talked about in Jeremiah. Seek the welfare of the community in which you find yourself because in their prosperity is your prosperity. So I say this because how many times have we seen, observed, or even experienced, been a part of being a, well, the, the term would be good idea fairy. We come up with all these, hey, there's some recommendations after someone gets a, a role or a position of influence. We come up with our laundry list of good ideas and things that should probably change and, and all those and then walk away. While the person there may want to, um, I'll say, include or enact some of those things, some of those policies, some of those recommendations, but something's required of us. But we're too busy. We don't give them the support that they need. That's not what Mordecai did. He absolutely agreed to give Esther what she needed as she was the one putting her life on the line. Literally. You find in the story that there, it requires time in order to approach the king. And if you're, you have not been approved to go into the presence of the king, then... The only thing that can save you is the king extending this golden scepter to you and touching it. And if he does not, the, the law at that time was that they eliminate you. They kill you immediately. So Esther was literally putting her life, career, position, everything on the line. Yes, and I said life first because clearly that was the biggest thing to her and, and to most How many people have not done something because they feel it might jeopardize them, might jeopardize their standing for their career, for future promotions, for their position, for whatever the case is, for how people will look at them or what people might say about them. So people need our support. They need us to stand with them. And that's exactly what Esther was asking of Mordecai and for the Jewish community in Susa. Not the entire empire, but just the community in the place, the city, where they found themselves. So now Mordecai has a role to go stir up everyone else and get them involved, which you see. And to help carry out the work and seek the Lord on it. Because that was literally all they could do was stand fast in trusting the Lord and to pray. So then there's there's this fifth and final point. And we're going to cover a, a whole bunch of different scriptures because there's multiple points within this. And the fifth point is this. Mordecai allowed the Lord to move according to his will and his timing. And, and that is incredible. Uh, if you could, turn with me to Esther 6 going to read the first three verses uh, verses one through three and then we're also going to read ten through twelve so esther six one begins this way during that night the king could not sleep so he gave an order to bring the book of records the chronicles and they were read before the king it was found written what mordecai had reported concerning bigthana and teresh two of the king's eunuchs who were doorkeepers that they had sought to lay hands on king ahasuerus The king said, what honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? Then the king's servants who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. So, uh, and then verses 10 through 12. Then the king said to Haman, Take quickly the robes and the horse as you have said, and do so from Mordecai the Jew who is sitting at the king's gate. Do not fall short in anything of all you have said. So Haman took the robe and the horse and arrayed Mordecai, and led him on horseback through the city square, and proclaiming before him, Thus it shall be done to the man whom the king decides to desires to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried home. Mourning with his head covered. So, in this section of scripture, Mordecai was honored by the king. But it's it's probably better said this way that Mordecai allowed the Lord to honor him, which also strengthened him along the way. In this section, remember how we were discussing how Mordecai had not yet been rewarded. But he, it didn't upset him. He was just busy doing what was righteous to do because it was right. But now the Lord rewards him in the Lord's timing, in his perfect will. Notice this comes after, long after. Or there's been a whole year of Haman seeking to kill Mordecai and the Jews, and that was just to come up with the plan. Now it's been put in action. Now there's there's time ticking. And in the midst of that, the Lord is honoring Mordecai. He's rewarding him for the things that he's already done up to this point. So he can get strength in that. He can be encouraged and encourage others because others are going to see his rewarding. And hopefully that bolsters others to continue and to not give up hope or lose faith or their trust in the Lord. But then there's another interesting point in this section of scripture. Haman. Whose plan it was being enacted, and who gave the plans to the king on how to honor Mordecai, mostly primarily because he thought it was about himself, and he was the one that was going to be honored. He went home with his head held low. But that's not what we hear about Mordecai. Mordecai returned to the king's gate. Mordecai continued to do the work that was required. He d- had chosen and decided to, f- to do it to completion in excellence unto the Lord and for the people, for the, the nation. And, and by the nation, ultimately, yes, it is both. It is both for the Jews, but it was also for, I'll say, the nation or the empire under King Ahasuerus. But then we also want to continue this, because in Esther 7, verses 8, oh sorry, we'll begin in verse 9, and we're going to read through Esther chapter 8, verse 2. It says this, Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs who were before the king, said, Behold indeed, the gallows standing at Haman's house fifty cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke on behalf of the king. And the king said, hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows, which had prepared, which he had prepared for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, to Queen Esther, and Mordecai came before the king, for Esther has, had disclosed what he was to her. The king took off his signet ring, which he had taken away from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. So there's a, a couple things here. We're talking about the Lord honoring Mordecai. So now it continues and progresses. It wasn't just honoring. There was deliverance. The Lord demonstrated his deliverance to Mordecai. And fulfilled his word. Which we read about in Proverbs 28.10 which says that he who leads the upright along the path of evil will fall into his own pit, but the blameless will inherit what is good. And we see that exact thing played out here. Now, there's a lot we did not read, we did not cover, and a lot you do to cover that on your own time. But in there, which which is amazing, there was a, Esther did, what Mordecai had advised her to do, which was to go see the king and put her trust in the Lord and allow the Lord to move on her behalf and on behalf of all of the Jews in Susa and throughout the empire under King Ahasuerus. And she did that. And not only did she do it that time, she did it again, immediately following the section that we just read. She went to the king And both times, because of the Lord, the king extended his golden scepter out to her so she could touch it, not be killed, and have an audience with the king to relay to him her thoughts, her concerns, and bring up important issues that affected and impacted many lives within the kingdom. And we see that in 8 through 16, right? So it says this, Esther 8, chapter 8, Uh, Esther chapter 8, starting in verse 8 says, Now you write to the Jews as you see fit in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring, for a decree which is written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's signet ring may not be revoked. So the king's scribes were called at that time in the third month, that is the month Sivan. On the 23rd day, and it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews, the satraps, the governors, the princes of the provinces, which extended from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces, to every province according to its script and every people according to their language, as well as to the Jews according to their script and their language. He wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed it with the king's signet ring And sent letters by couriers on horses, riding on steeds, stirred by the royal stud. In them the king granted the Jews, who were in each and every city, the right to assemble and to defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate the entire army of any people or province which might attack them, including children and women, and to plunder their spoil. On one day... In all the provinces of King Asiris the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, that is the month Adar, a copy of the edict is to be issued as law, and each and every province was published to all the peoples so the Jews would be ready for this day to avenge themselves on their enemies. The couriers hastened and impelled by the king's command went out, riding on the royal steeds, and the decree was given out at the citadel in Susa. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white with a large crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced, for the Jews there was light and gladness and joy and honor. In each and every province and in each and every city, wherever the king's commandment and his decree arrived, there was gladness and joy for the Jews, a feast and a holiday, and many Among the peoples of the land became Jews, for the dread of the Jews had fallen upon them. So we were just talking about the Lord's deliverance. And in this section of scripture, we see the continuation. The Lord gave deliverance to Mordecai from his enemy, Haman. But there was still the decree that Haman had signed with the signet ring that had been given to him prior that was still about eliminating the Jews. So now Esther again had to go beseech the king about this very act. And the king granted it to her because of the favor of the Lord, because of the Lord's working and moving and deliverance of not just Mordecai, but his people. Mordecai still had this thing hanging over his head, if you will. Death was still impending by all natural means and laws and circumstances. But he did not let that bother him. He advised his cousin Esther, now the queen, on what to do. And now she disclosed who he was to her. But now you also see the favor of the Lord working where Mordecai is granted a position and a place where he is writing and impacting policy, legislation, if you will, for the kingdom giving favor and allowing enemies to be eliminated and it's not about the elimination of the enemies but it's about restoring what was right and righteous inside the kingdom there's always going to be those that are in opposition to the lord and against his people fear not yet while it's painful while it's not fun to go through let's continue to press on The Lord fulfills His word, right? We read about that in in Proverbs, but let's also look at Psalms 57, verse 6. It says, They spread a net from my feet. My soul was despondent. They dug a pit before me, but they themselves have fallen into it. Selah. Let's wait on the Lord. Let's renew our strength in Him. Let's let Him build us up and remember that He is our deliverer, our strong tower. And we see that here. The Lord moved for himself, for righteousness and for justice, that the people were living out. And it's not, not all. The Lord continued to bless them. He bl- continued to bless those that were in righteousness, and especially Mordecai. Chapter 10, we read about and all the fullness of how the Lord blessed Mordecai. And it says this talks about Mordecai's greatness. It says now King Ahasuerus laid a tribute on the land and on the coastlands of the sea, and all the accomplishments of his great authority and strength, and the full account of the greatness of Mordecai, to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Medea and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second. Only to King Ahasaurus, and great among the Jews, and in favor with his many kinsmen, one who sought the good of his people, and one who spoke for the welfare of his whole nation. I would encourage you and, and everyone listening to move beyond just what we see, feel, and experience in the in the circumstances and situations we find ourselves in. But let's look for the good of all the people, especially those of the faith. Right? It, it matters, first and foremost to the Lord. But that is how we, the, the kingdom, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, should be living, moving, and caring and conducting ourselves every moment of every day. Love and grace and exhibiting the same nature, character, and attributes. Yeah, that we find in Mordecai, but we find them first and foremost in our Lord and Savior. And we see that exemplified in the, our pattern example, which is Jesus the Christ. I assure you, if we apply these things to our, our life, to our family, our homes, our communities, schools, education, if we apply these principles, we will see a change immediate, and long-term. So with that, I want to close for this evening. Thank you for joining us here on Matters of Life, and God bless you. Have a wonderful evening.